Welcome everybody to the 17th episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. This is a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anybody science adjacent and perhaps even hobbyist. My name is Susanna and I'm here with my co-host Jaron. Hi. Today we're going to talk about the science behind black and white dreaming. Now I never knew that there's actually people who dream in black and white, but I read about it and it piqued my interest. So we're going to talk about it today. So let's start. It might be because I'm just 28 years old, but I honestly had never heard that there's actually people out there that dream in black and white. Did you? No. Well, I mean, you still sort of see it in random Hollywood movies and shows every now and then that they do something in black and white, mostly just because it's the theme of that episode. But no, I never really thought it was true. Yeah, you do indeed see sometimes that in films, dreams are in black and white and then the rest is in color. That's true. But um turns out that there's actually quite a bit, well, I wouldn't call it large, but there's quite a percentage of people who report that they dream in black and white. And I read a, well, article, news article about it, and I was intrigued. So um, that's why today we're going to be talking about the science behind black and white dreaming. And I'm really uh, interested in seeing what we'll find. So, yeah. As always, we, in this uh, Science Behind um, series, we'll first talk about what we already know about dreaming, which is honestly, for me, not a lot. Also zero for me, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, I dream. I often don't remember it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not really... I mean, I would imagine any kind of measurements and stuff like that or difficult, like... You can only really ask people what they dreamed about. And I guess you can sort of do measurements with like EEGs or whatever like that. But yeah, that's, I, all, I, that's all I can imagine about it. Yeah, the, the science might also be difficult, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I do know that sometimes when I have watched a Spanish TV series or something, then I actually think in my dream that I can speak Spanish, which is not true, of course. Uh, <laughs> that that's usually not the the sign that like okay i'm in a dream i can speak spanish yeah it's really weird because then everybody actually speaks spanish but i sort of understand them and but it's just made up gibberish in the end by my brain yeah i i don't think the people in your brain are speaking spanish no either. no 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 definitely not <laughs> they're like those village people for minecraft like huh <laughs> no it's like it's a bit more than that but it sounds spanish it's not spanish at all but yeah, it's funny though. Your brain's interpretation of other people's Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so let's uh, dive into the research about dreaming now. So we're back. We have read a lot of articles and um, learned a lot more about dreaming, I would say. We're right? basically experts in the field now. No, definitely not. We are just... Um, experts adjacent. <laughs> hobbyists, I would call us. <laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting. There's not as much about black and white dreaming as uh, I had thought, I guess, but there's some interesting stuff. A gap in the research. You can start your uh, new uh, group there. 
Yes, well, what I've learned is that it's definitely difficult to uh, research dreaming, though. Yeah, that for sure. Because you're always sort of stuck to what people actually report that they have dreamt, and you cannot actually, like, look into their dreams and, like... Mm. I feel like I came across a lot more reviews than I actually came across the, the scientific papers describing doing research on. And there was also a lot of old, old papers that mm-hmm. were difficult to access. Yep. Definitely came across some papers from 1969 and 71 at uh, certain points. So. Yes. So I've learned that the study of dream research is also called onerology, which is Greek for the study of dreams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you always wanted to know in this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I could have an entire side tangent about uh, the Sandman and dreaming, but we're going to keep it to... To, to real stuff. Yes, <laughs> real thank you stuff. very much. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're hardcore professionals. Here. Professionals. Yeah. So dreaming has always been of interest in like a lot of different cultures and people have always been interested in what do dreams mean and they have tried to interpret it. And even in religious texts from thousands of years ago, like from the Babylonians and the Sumerians, uh, humans were trying to interpret the meaning of dreams. Most modern studies are more about what is the physiology and the function of dreams. For example, how does a dream start and what brain regions are involved and what is the purpose of dreaming. Now, on average, humans spend about two hours of their sleep in dreaming state. And each dream lasts about five to 20 minutes. And dreams tend to happen mostly in REM sleep. So REM sleep stands for, or REM sleep stands for rapid eye movement sleep uh, so it's a particular cycle in so if you imagine that every person sort of sleeps in 90 minute cycles uh, you have rem sleep and you have non-rem sleep so n-rem and the majority of that tends to be in n-rem at least when you start sleeping and then you have moments like these five to 20 minutes of rem sleep and they're basically if you've ever seen someone when they're asleep and you open their eyes, you'll see that their eyes sort of, their pupils sort of keep moving around side to side, but sometimes also very chaotically, uh, vertically a little bit as well. And so that's why it's called re- not, uh, rapid eye movement uh, sleep. Okay. And what does, at least from what we've read in the literature, is that most people tend to have dreams during REM sleep. So if you actually wake someone up uh, when you're measuring how far into their sleep they are with like an EEG. Uh, the moment you you can tell that they're in REM sleep, you wake them up, then they can recall their, their dreams better uh, than in non-REM sleep. So I read the statistic was something like 70 to 80% of the people that you wake up from adults that you wake up in REM sleep, remember their dream from that, while it's only like 7 to 9% of people in non-REM sleep. Okay. And yeah. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. 
It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. So that's quite interesting. And there's a lot big of... difference. Yeah, that's a very, very big difference. So it, for the longest time, it wasn't really clear as to... Because when the EEG method was first developed and they wanted to look at brainwaves, especially in people who were asleep and dreaming and stuff like that, the hypothesis was like, yeah, well, they're sleeping, right? So their brain has to be resting or relatively inactive in that state. And then they started measuring. It's like, whoa, it's very active. And mostly in the REM uh, state. That's yeah, when that's, that's yeah. the state that your, your brain is almost similar to when you're awake, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but in, in REM uh, state, it's pretty much resting. It's very uh, you know, down-regulated or inhibited, if you will. And yeah, that's the moment where you get most of your dreams. And there's also uh, studies being done as to lucid dreaming. So that's that phenomena where people actually become aware that they're in their dream and can actually take control of their dream or remember it better. These kinds of things really do something in their dream. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's being associated more with like one particular region of the brain called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And so. When REM sleep happens, you get like that increased activity that uh, we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the brain is active at that point, except for this one region, this dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. And if that becomes active, people tend, uh, at least studies show that you, m- the people who have that part of the brain active have more higher likelihood of having lucid dreams or experiencing lucid dreaming. Okay. So, yeah, that's just a little uh, side tangent uh, that I found there. And it, there's so much theory, so many theories as to what dreaming actually is, why it's useful, trying to explain dreaming in general. Like, of course, the name Sigmund Freud comes up and he has a, he's had a theory about dreaming. Uh, there's more bottom up theories as to like. But what yeah. is Freud's theory? So Freud's theory is, uh, it, sort of the general thing is it all comes from uh, unconscious wishes and desires that we have. And oh, we yes. sort of manifest that into our dreams. And there's this also phenomenon called dream amnesia. So you've, you've experienced dreams. When you wake up, you tend to forget them. Mm-hmm. So there's a, all these different theories try to explain different aspects of dreams, uh, the entire package. Mm-hmm. So wh- what's causing the dreams? How can you explain dream amnesia is having REM sleep necessary for dreams or is it just sort of because you can also have dreams in non-REM sleep like but it's very little mm-hmm. and some of those fears are like well yeah you since you can have some dreams in those non-REM sleeps then the REM sleep isn't the super crucial part and one theory which is the aim uh, theory is really from the neurons and their yeah the neuromodulator so acetylcholine norepinephrine dopamine these kinds of signals Mm-hmm. really lead to dreaming and it's really more biological that that's that theory and how to explain all of dreaming 
Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Freud, for example, is really more of it's all psychological, it's all unconscious desires manifesting, and yeah. Yes, of course. Because Freud. Yes, because yeah. Freud. Okay. Yes. So that was a little side tangent as to uh, REM sleep and a lot of the debate that's still going on about it and how it works and stuff like that. Okay. So to summarize, the dreams in REM sleep are just. They they are mostly in REM sleep. Mm-hmm. They are longer and vivid and more emotional in REM sleep. And that's also, also these lucid dreams. Um, and when you're in REM sleep, your brain activity is uh, quite high and resembles that of being awake, right? Yes. So uh, scientists have been looking at this REM sleep that is apparently an indicator of, of having dreams. And they also found it in a lot of animals, including ostriches and uh, even platypuses. But there's different amounts of REM sleep in different species but because they all at least mammals and also birds apparently seem to have it it has been suggested that they can dream but because the science behind dreaming is so dependent on people actually being able to recall and tell you about their dreams it is impossible of course to ask a dog for a verbal report of what their dream was like so non-human dreaming is currently unprovable Uh, And also dreaming in babies uh, cannot be proven to exist because you need you need a recollection and a verbal report to prove that there was actually a dream in this REM sleep. Yeah, so it's actually uh, quite interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of research has also been conducted on younger kids Mm -hmm. to see like at what stage do they start developing their dreams. If, uh, as you mentioned, like we can't really ask a baby to tell us about their dream, but Studies have been done on children between like the ages of five till seven, because, you know, by that point, they, are, they can already start speaking. Mm-hmm. And so far, what they've been able to show is that around the age of seven, children are actually able to report uh, some dreams. But it's only about, so like we said, REM, it's after someone is in REM sleep and you wake them up that they can recall their dream. So they've tested this on children that they wake them up from REM sleep. And in only 20% of the children, those children were able to recall their dreams, as opposed to adults, where that situation is more like 80 to 90 percent. So it's there's there's quite a few different ideas going around as to why children can't really recall their dreams if they're really having them or what kind of dreams they are having. What what's the reason why they, they have fewer dreams or can recall less? And it could be maybe they just simply can't articulate it well enough. They just for whatever reason, they're not really able to remember their dream. Or the dream amnesia is much stronger in children still, for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. And even younger children, of course, have even more trouble with even talking about their dreams and understanding what happened in them. So. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know about you, but you can always, uh, in my case, I sort of vaguely remember having a dream when I was younger, I think below the age of seven. Uh But it's always... Subjective, right? You're sort of, as you go on in age, you overlay more thoughts and feelings onto that dream. That How correct is your memory memory of that dream? Yeah, yeah. you should never trust your own memory. No, exactly. <laughs> There's so much uh, hindsight bias and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So. so that was a bit more of the, the background behind dreaming and what it is and what they know about it. But now back to the subject of black and white dreaming, right? Because that's that's how we got into this thing. Yes, we're going to finish it. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, in the 1950s period, scientific community was actually quite convinced 
that people, all people dream in black and white. However, since then, this view has sort of shifted and slowly uh, it has become more and more accepted that people dream in color. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at accounts before the 1950s, you also see that it was sort of assumed that people dream in color. So what made the scientists in the 1950s believe that everybody dreamed in black and white? Well, in the 1940s, 1950s, there were a lot of different surveys done about dreaming. And for example, a study in 1942 found that 70% of the 277 college sophomores uh, reported rarely or never seeing any colors in their dreams. Now, when this study was replicated in 2001, only 17% of the 124 students investigated reported the same, so also not seeing any colors. And even later studies in 2008 showed that only 4.4% of people under 25 reported black and white dreaming, while from the people over 55, who the ones who had access to color TV in their childhood, reported 7.3% black and white dreaming, but the ones who in their childhood only had access to black and white media, like films and TV, uh, reported 25% uh, black and white dreaming. So currently it's believed that the shift um, that in the 1950s, the scientific community thought that everybody dreamed in black and white because there was black and white television introduced in the first half of the 20th century. And that when color TV became more and more common in households slowly, this shifted back to color. And it's really thought that there's just this specific period in childhood uh, where you are influenced for sort of the rest of your life if you dream in black and white or you dream in color. So there's still a bigger amount of people in the age group uh, that had still black and white television when they were children that dream in black and white. Or at least they think they dream in black and white. And it's also shown that these people who had black, there are still people who had color uh, television, but say they dream in black and white. But the people who actually had the grayscale television really described their black and white dreaming with way more details and way more vividly about that color grayscale in their dreams. So it really shows that your childhood and what you're exposed to then sort of plays a big role into what your dreams are like. Yeah. It would be really interesting to figure out in what specific part of their childhood. Uh... Yeah, yeah, but it's difficult, of course, because you cannot just take a group of children and only expose them to black and white television. I mean, as far as we know, there's no negative side effects of dreaming black and white, I guess. No, true. True. Uh, however, some people who try to interpret dreams in the non-scientific uh, background oh, yeah. think uh, black and white dreaming stands for having big a big change coming up in your life. So in case you're interested in that, that's also a thing, I guess. Non-scientific whatsoever. Different field of different field of <laughs> different field, not not research. <laughs> so scientists uh, have now realized that what you're exposed to really influences your your vision of your dreams, and they try to overcome this problem by looking at people who are colorblind and then seeing if those people have colors in their dreams. Problem is also with these people that they have no experience with color because they are colorblind since the moment they were born. So when they were asked to identify colors, they have no clue what, what a color should look like. And also their minds have no memories of colors to fabricate color, colorful dreams with. So this research also really didn't go anywhere, I guess. Now, what is also known that if you 
even when you're remembering a real-life event that happened a couple of days ago, some people might focus on what color things are and are actually able to remember that, and other people are not. So just being asked to remember a dream and not knowing what colors were uh, there doesn't mean that it was in black and white. It's just that you don't remember that because apparently it wasn't that important for the story. And some people just focus more on colors and other people do not. So there is this problem in dream research where it's always overlaid with your own experiences and what you find important. And it's not... You, you cannot actually look into a person's dream and see what's actually there, right? It's always overlaid with their experiences and what they think. So we might never know if an actual dream is actually in color or that is just the way we interpret the dream. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a very interesting thing to look into, mm. but I don't, I don't really have any answers right now. No, but I mean, I think it might be safe to assume that as we go further and further into more and more colored we're already in colored media obviously but as we move away further from the generation that was predominantly exposed to black and white tvs and stuff like that in their youth we'll have less and less people who actually dream in black and white i guess yes i do think so yeah. and um, who knows maybe our vid our dreams become more like tiktok videos at some point oh oh no yeah. oh no i do know that I'm, I mean, I'm not a native English speaker, but my dreams are always in English. Mm. And I always thought that was weird. But now I think maybe it is because I was always exposed to English movies and English TV because my parents really like to watch that without subtitles, mm -hmm. preferably. So I think maybe because I had that in my childhood, my dreams are now in English. Yeah, I mean, possible, but it's also... Dreams are very com complex to really understand, like, what, what's it even really doing there, right? True. Like, the, from what I was reading, we, we're still not really sure, like, is it there to help us consolidate memory? Is it there to help us solve problems sort of subconsciously? Like, it's still very unclear um, because they've also done some research on people to see if, like, dreams, um, so they have them do a cognitive test. And then they also have some a group do like some sleeping in between that they actually get some REM sleep. Mm -hmm. And then the people who actually got some sleep and managed to get some REM sleep, so associated with the dreaming, um, perform better on those cognitive tests. So what is dreaming actually doing? We have some hints. We don't even really know what it's there for. Uh, it's a complex subject. And yeah, it's difficult to, to have good research about it too yeah. because... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like we can measure the protein or gene that we're interested in. They can't measure the dream or no. really control it that much or if, if at all. Yes. So, yeah. I'm also really interested in, in animal dreams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you, so we can see what our dog is dreaming sometimes. Yes. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's dreaming. You can y see it. But yeah. Like... He, he's had like these weird motions sometimes when he's asleep that he Where just sort of like. running oh. and chasing something. Yeah. It's so cute. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, um, I'm not really satisfied by what I've read in the research. Need more funding needing, needed for black and white dreaming. There's not really answers out no. there, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting that there's still, even, even in the younger group, there's still some people who dream in black and white. And it seems to be because they have a real love for black and white films and things like that. Yeah, but this, the science behind dreaming was uh, was interesting. So I'm glad we uh, made this episode. 
Yes. I mean, it gave us an opportunity to dig into a field that we're totally not familiar with at Unaware. all. Unaware. Yes. So, yeah, it was definitely interesting to delve a little deeper into that. Now, I hope that you listeners also enjoyed this episode. Um, if you uh, want to reach out to us, you can do that via our website um, or via our email address. So our website is thestrugglingscientist.com and our email address is thestrugglingscientist at hotmail.com. And we love to hear from you uh, or get feedback or if you have any questions, comments, please reach out to, out to us. Uh, we always love interacting with the fans. Yes, and you can also follow us on our different social media platforms as well, either on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. So there's yes. also that. You can find us everywhere under The Struggling Scientist. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, we hope to uh, see you next time. Yes. Keep dreaming of The Struggling Scientist podcast. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.